Hi, and welcome to the Breastfeeding Medicine Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dr. Ann Eglash. I'm a clinical professor in the Department of Family Medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant and a co-founder of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. And I'm Karen Bodnar. I am an assistant professor of pediatrics at Harbor UCLA Medical Center and a general pediatrician. I'm also a board-certified lactation consultant. And this podcast is sponsored by the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Just so you know, the content of our podcasts does not necessarily reflect official policies or protocols of the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine. Are you ready to go? Hey, Karen. How's it going? It's going great. Good. I have uh, I have some questions for you, and I thought that you know we could do it as a podcast, and then maybe some other people who have similar questions might enjoy listening to it. Sure. Um, I know that you have been working a lot on um, getting a milk bank started up near where you guys are, and as I am looking at um, doing more breastfeeding medicine, when I moved to Washington D.C., I am thinking about getting involved in starting a milk bank. And so I wanted to know, you know, how you got started. Yeah. So in 2005, a group of us um, in the Madison area were interested in starting a milk bank, knowing that we don't that we didn't have a milk bank near us. And so we started with a group of volunteers, and we and we really felt the first step was to increase the awareness of donor human milk. And of course, that was 10 years ago. So at that time, a lot of people didn't even didn't know anything about donor milk. They knew they didn't know that they could donate their milk. They didn't know what it meant, what that term even meant. And so what we decided to do was first establish a couple places in the Madison area where women, if they had extra milk, could bring it after they were screened by a milk bank. So our goal, because we didn't have a milk bank, our goal was to collect milk um, under the umbrella of the Ohio Milk Bank um, and so the women who wanted to donate would be screened through the Ohio Milk Bank, and then once they were accepted through uh, the verbal screening and blood draws, then they could bring their milk to our depots, and we were responsible for shipping it. And part of the reason we did this was because our hospital kept getting phone calls from women saying, I have all this extra milk, what can I do with it? And we felt there was this opportunity to collect this milk. And then in the process of doing that, starting to spread the word. So we started a nonprofit organization called the Mother's Milk Association of Wisconsin. Not, you know, we were hoping that eventually it would become a milk bank, but the initial, but we thought we'd just start the discussion, start the process of the depots and see what happened. And so we actually were concerned about how much it would cost to ship the milk to Ohio because we didn't have any money. And so then Angel Flight, which is a nonprofit um, group, of, group of pilots, they ship things. They ship oh, things. yeah, sure. One of my partners does it, and he flies kids to their medical appointments. Exactly, exactly. Well, what's funny is that um, the pilots who all, they love to volunteer to fly, they love to volunteer to fly a to Ohio because they didn't have to wait around for anyone's appointment. They no one was talking to them in the airplane. They didn't have to worry about anyone becoming <laughs> sick. And they, and they always got cookies with their milk when they were flying. And milk and so, cookies. Milk cookies, yeah. So that actually was a win-win for everyone. I mean, they loved it. We loved it. It just was great. And, oh, that's um, great. Yeah. And, then, and the other thing is that we didn't have to find the dry ice. And dry ice can be hard to find. Because, we, because it was going to get there within a couple hours, we didn't have to worry about uh, thawing yeah, of the milk. Just, 
we just well, packed it I up guess. and yeah, we just packed it up in coolers. So that's kind of how we got started. But then, you know, you need a lot of volunteerism to start a bank. So we ended up with this pretty extensive depot system. We were shipping lots of milk to Ohio, but we just felt like it was hard to get off the ground to actually build a bank. And so then we, I met up with a woman in Illinois who was gung-ho in in developing a milk bank in, in Illinois. And we thought, well, let's combine our efforts because of course we're the dairy state. Like we can provide a lot of milk. <laughs> you guys are the business state. You guys can come up with a business plan and let's put this together. And so in reality, the people that we started working with in Illinois don't necessarily have medical backgrounds. Some of them have more project development, web experience, et cetera. So that was really important to meet up with other people who had different life experiences and were not healthcare providers because when you just work with healthcare providers, it's somewhat limiting in terms of the skill set. And so, um, so that actually has been quite successful. Um, so we actually kind of got together in 2011 and we're just about to sign our lease to open our milk bank, um, in the next couple months. Um, I think the hardest thing in opening that bank is, uh, coming up with the initial money to buy the equipment to um, pay salaries and things like that, you know, all the money that you need for infrastructure. And we kind of figure that you need about $500,000 to start off, but we're finding that we are not getting $500,000. So um, we actually have some other financial arrangements, you know, to, to um, come up, you know, with the money that we need to start. But the, but the big thing for us is that we have, we're right now between all of our depots in Wisconsin and all of our depots in Illinois. We have lots of depots now because we've continued to expand on our depot system. And now we've been shipping in the last couple of years, we've been shipping um, milk to the Indiana Milk Bank, who became our mentor when we became a, um, when we had our intention of developing the bank, you, you're, a, you, you're called the developing bank through the Human Milk Banking Association of North America. And at that point you get a mentor and Indiana became our mentor. So we began shipping our milk to Indiana instead um, and so with all these depots that we have, we, you know, we send in more than hundred thousand ounces of milk to Indiana wow. every year. So we figure we, milk banks tend to be financially sustainable and, um, with just the milk that they're processing. So we figure, you know, as soon as we open the doors, we have, we have dedicated milk that will come directly to our bank. We'll have lots of milk to process. And we'll have lots of milk to, we'll have a lot of places to distribute because hospitals are really needing the milk. You know, NICUs now recognize the importance of using donor milk when they don't have sufficient mother's milk. And so we don't have any, so this is a good time to open a bank because everyone recognizes that this is now becoming standard of care in the, neo, in the neonatal units. And if they're not using it, it's just because they don't have all of their ducks in a row with their policies um, and agreements with the hospital to to either purchase it or bill for it in order mm-hmm. to start using it. So this is a great time to start, to start building a bank. And some, some hospitals now um, in Wisconsin are actually um, not only using it for premature babies who are under um, 2,500 grams or under 2,000 grams, they're starting to extend it to anyone who needs it primarily, you know, especially like the, the late preterms of 35 to 37 weekers who need supplementation and even to term babies who need supplementation while they're still in the hospital. I think hospitals have found it to be so rewarding to have this available um, that they're, that they're doing that. Um, And then the other thing that's really interesting about all this donor milk is that there's a lot of donor milk that gets tossed because 
it's, um, you know, maybe it's, maybe the date has run out or maybe it's been thawed for more than 24 hours or 48 hours, depending on the policy of the hospital and they can't use it. And by golly, there are outpatients out there who would love to have that milk and setting up a system so that that milk doesn't get dumped by the hospital, but it goes right to someone, you know, have someone on their list who can come and pick Mm -hmm. it up that day and say, here, come and pick up these 10 ounces for your baby. I mean, that's a beautiful way to, um, to, to not lose every, to not lose drops of milk. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it's been, um, quite the adventure. We've learned a lot and we're really excited to have our milk bank open. Yeah, that's super exciting. Yeah. Um, I really agree with what you were saying about how this is a great time for, um, milk banks to start because I think that the, the science is really, um, the studies have been there and more and more, um, doctors are recognizing the importance of getting donor milk to, you know, particularly NICU babies, but also in other circumstances. And even advocacy efforts are starting to um, gain force. We had talked a while ago about a a bill in the Kansas legislature about trying to um, have Medicaid, Medicare pay for, um, Medicaid, sorry, pay for the um, donor milk for babies in the NICU in Kansas and that law passed and it was signed by the governor just on the 19th of May. And so they are focusing on babies who are three months of age and younger and there are other specific criteria because sometimes babies who are born very prematurely stay in the hospital for three months or more. Right. Exactly. Um, Yeah. That's outstanding. It's a really big deal because I think there's, like you were saying, people want to use donor milk and either are finding there just isn't enough milk because there's a lot of milk out there, but it's not getting to where it needs to be because moms don't necessarily know about donation or know, you know, how to do it if the milk bank isn't in the town they live in or the, although there are studies that show that it is not only really important for health, but it's cost effective for hospitals to pay the processing um, fees to get that donor milk they don't necessarily have the systems in place to, to do that and to bill for it. And even though in the long run, it's going to save a lot of money because the babies will be healthier. Um, they don't necessarily have the, the setup to get, you know, on the front end that milk paid for. Right. And some hospitals have done a really good job getting the milk paid for and other hospitals are just fronting the money for the milk, just like they do for the formula or uh, other food that's being given. So it depends on the philosophy of the hospital and... Absolutely. um, It's a really big... um, It has to do with the attitude of the people who are in charge of the purse strings and... Right. But I think, but, but the, the um, studies that look at the finances show that, um, that hospitals save money in general. They say, and they save, it's particularly for the um, morbidity and the mortality of these, of infants, if they're receiving donor milk, like the rates of surgical necrotizing enterocolitis go down significantly when donor milk is being used. Absolutely. And that's a really expensive disease as opposed, in addition to being a really horrible one. Exactly. Yeah. No, so it's, it's definitely a good thing. So, um, you had mentioned to me before this question of, um, is it harder for, for the milk banks to, um, to attract donors because of the use of uh, casual milk sharing. Yeah, I mean, I I certainly 
where I am here in California, there have been a couple of really interesting studies lately that people may have heard of about how there's a lot of milk sharing going on. And then there were a couple of scary ones came out that said one showed contamination of bacteria in donor milk that had been shipped in the mail. And another one showed that 10% of um, breast milk, um, supposedly breast milk that was bought through this particular study um, had more than 10% cow's milk actually in the samples um, that they collected. But here I just, I see a lot of um, sort of little internet blurbs of local people who are sharing their milk, like somebody's moving and they send out a Facebook post that says, I'm moving, I'm not taking my milk, who wants it? Um, and partly that's because they don't know, you know, where else to donate it. Right, right. Yeah, and, and it's also becoming more of something that is considered to be kosher, so to speak, you know, to, yeah. to share. And so I did a study um, about three years ago asking health professionals who are knowledgeable about breastfeeding um, how they feel about milk sharing, do they think it's safe, and the vast majority of women, of uh, healthcare providers, more than 90% of, I think I had like almost 400 participants, more than 90, closer to like 95% of participants agreed that milk sharing can be safe. And the safest situation is if the milk is um, comes from someone that they know, um, mm-hmm. whether it's a family member or a really close friend. And that's what I, and that's what I see in my patients. They feel more, most comfortable if they, if it's their sister, their cousin, or their best friend, they know that person really well. Um, they know to trust that person, that person's not going to taint the milk. They know yeah. that it is going to be, um, breast milk. And the problem with the milk that's being shared on the internet is that if there's any financial gain, there's a conflict of interest there and you have no idea what you're getting. And then also the whole ideas of shipment. I mean, you and I both know, you look at the way individuals care for themselves in terms of just cleanliness. You know, people don't oftentimes think about the germ theory. I mean, you and I are, you know, certainly compulsive about, you know, washing our hands before we eat and washing our hands before, you know, if we're going to pump or um, after using the bathroom and things like that. Um, But, you know, not everybody's like that. No, because when I look at breast pumps at women, when women come in and show me their breast pumps in the breastfeeding clinic, a lot of these pumps are just downright filthy. And they're not, they don't, that's kind of their modus operandi. I mean, this is what, this is the way their life is. I mean, they're not, they're not really clean freaks. And so then you think about those people shipping off their milk (laughs) and it's pretty, can be pretty nasty. So, um, so yeah, Yeah, that's why when milk banks get the milk, they do extensive testing and they make sure that everything they've received is up to par. And if it's not, Right. right. If it has high bacterial counts and certain bacteria growth, um, particularly bacteria that secrete toxins, um, that milk gets tossed before it's even pasteurized. So it gets tested before and after. Um, but we have, so in our community in Madison, I want to mention, we have a, a milk sharing bank um, that's a community bank called the Mother's Milk Alliance. And this is kind of a special situation because it the women are screened just like they would be screened for a milk bank. They go through the verbal screen, they go through the blood screen, and the milk is brought to one of the freezers. Uh, there, there's like three or four uh, people who are housing freezers. And then the milk is distributed to recipients, but the milk is not pasteurized. There's no pasteurization that goes on. And the recipients um, are instructed that um, 
you know, that it's not pasteurized, they're instructed how to pasteurize. They're also given information about the medications that the donor may be taking. So that's one of the issues is that the milk, the milk that goes to the milk banks, it has to be pretty strict in terms of the, there's, there's a lot of, um, limitations in terms of what women can be taking when they donate. So there are f very few medications that are allowed. Whereas in reality, most of those medications are going to be very low dose in the milk and they're going to overall be fine. And it's probably safer for the baby to be exposed to some of those medications as opposed to having formula. Mm -hmm. So, so they disclose to the recipient what the donor was taking and the donor has, there's no financial, you know, gain to donate this is just having room in their freezer again is really their thing and or just wanting to donate not wanting to dump milk down the drain and mm -hmm. that's been a wonderful system and so the question is you know is that all going to take away the donations that go to the bank well so one thing that's interesting is that we have something called the natural um, parenting expo in madison once a year and our milk bank our up-and-coming milk bank shares a table at that expo with the Mother's Milk Alliance, which is the, which is the sharing bank. So we have the pasteurized bank sharing a table at the sharing bank in Madison because it was all about milk donation, right? Mm -hmm. so, so families will come up to the table and say, oh, I have this extra milk in my freezer. And what's interesting is the fathers run to the table with the, <laughs> with the kid in the stroller, like, oh my God, I can get my freezer back. I'm going to go hunting soon. I got to get, you know, and so they run to us and they, and clearly I know that they must have a freezer full when they're running to our, to our table. And, um, and so we talk about the differences and some people really feel very dedicated to wanting to donate to NICUs because they've had a sick preemie, they had a preemie, their cousin had a preemie, they want the milk to go to that population. And then other mothers feel like, no, I really want this to go to other women in, in the community. I know, you know, my friend had low milk supply and I saw how happy it made her to have this extra milk. So everyone's got their own mission of how they want to donate. And I think we need to respect that because if we just say, oh my gosh, people are sharing all this milk and we're not going to be able to have enough for NICUs. Well, it is an issue. But on the other hand, then we're saying that all these outpatient babies shouldn't, don't have the right to have a hundred percent breast milk, you know? And I think that there's a lot of milk that doesn't necessarily meet the standards for the um for the bank right Vanna, and that right. has to me i would be very comfortable using that milk especially for an outpatient yeah uh, who wasn't sure. extremely vulnerable and frail exactly so yeah i think yeah. that's a great it's a brilliant strategy to have them together because people may you know be thinking of the NICU donation and be disappointed to find out that they're not you know going to be able to do that because they take you know some medicine and then Right. Then they have, they have their options right there. They don't have to go from one table to the next trying to figure out, back. right. Trying to figure out what, you know, what's the difference between them. And, you know, a lot of women are taking meds. I mean, a lot of women are taking, um, medications for depression and anxiety, for example. Sure. Um, and so I was, you know, recently told by someone, I didn't realize that, you know, certain, um, herbs and supplements that right. women very frequently take because they're, you know, trying to maximize their milk supply, even though a lot of the women don't really need it could right. be prohibiting them from donating. And, you know, then it's just a, it's a shame to flush it down the toilet. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that's been, so I'm not too concerned about it. I think that the more the merrier, like the more women recognize, well, I have this extra milk, I'm going to donate it. You know, 10 years ago, women would not even even thought of that. They wouldn't, you know, and women, you know, still come to the booths, 
to the booth that we have every year and they say, oh man, if I would have known about this, you know, two or three years ago, I wouldn't have dumped my milk. Mm -hmm. And so we still, and some women say, wow, you can donate your milk. Because when you think about it, you always have these new mothers oh, yeah. who don't really have the information, you know, because it's not like, it's not like you learn to drive and then you're driving for 50, 70 years. You have your baby, you know, once, and it can be when you're in your 20s or 30s, and you have to learn all this information about every single thing. And donor milk is not like the number yeah. one thing that you think about, you know, when you're learning about what to do when you become pregnant. So, right. Yeah. Well, that is fascinating. And I'm so excited that you guys are making strides forward. And um, hopefully, the uh, listeners will all be excited to learn more about this and how they can get involved in their local communities with helping because there are people all over that are working on trying to help babies get donor milk. Yeah, and I would say that for anyone who's listening who really just wants to have a volunteer project, having a milk depot for a local milk, for a regional milk bank is a great gift because not only are you meeting lots of moms who are so happy to donate, you're taking your um, you know, helping these really sick babies whose parents are, you know, would love to have, you know, a healthy premature infant or a sick infant become better in the hospital. And there's not a lot of work to it. I mean, it's, it, there's a very little um, financial input. You know, I mean, you just have to pay for a freezer and a, and a thermometer. And in fact, a lot of the milk banks will give, have that money available to set up the depot and then just being available a couple times a week to receive donors to stick the milk in the freezer. You don't have to do any screening. You don't have to do anything. And then, you know, whenever the freezer is full, you just pack it up and ship it to the milk bank. And the milk bank provides the boxes and the coolers and the labels and the the um, the shipping labels and so that you don't have to pay for anything. You just have UPS pick it up even. So Wow. Yeah, it's just so It really simple. makes me wonder why every hospital with a NICU hasn't become a depot. Well, see, this is, so that's a really important point. So a lot of depots are outpatient depots and hospitals, I think, are a little bit more um, cautious about <clears throat> what does it mean to collect quote unquote dirty milk and stick it into a freezer. And so that, and then do they want to use their staff time to have people have this depot? Whereas in reality, the most important milk is that premature milk. So if a woman, you know, God forbid, you know, she pumps milk and then her baby dies, she has a gift of gold to give another baby. But the problem is you have a mother who's really bereaved and the last thing she wants to do is fill out a bunch of paperwork to go to a milk bank. So yeah. some milk banks have bereavement programs to help these moms to make it super easy for them so they don't have to get on the phone and, and, and you know, be asked a million questions. They are not, they can't deal with that. You know, they, 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 they just need to kind of move on and deal with the issue that their child has died. And so um, making it e as easy as possible. But sometimes it's not that their child died. It's, it's that there's a mother who just is pumping gallons and they have a 26-weeker <laughs> who takes, you know, 5 ml. And so they have all this extra milk. And that early milk, that early premium milk, is much higher in protein than milk of a, you know, so like a, a, a mother who's two days postpartum or three days postpartum and has a preemie compared to a woman who is postpartum at 40 weeks, the preemie mother's milk is higher in protein than the mother who has a term mm -hmm. baby. So that milk, so that preemie colostrum is absolute gold and that's the milk that we want to get if it's not, if it's excessive, if it's beyond what the premature infant needs. Um, and we don't do a good job of collecting that milk. We absolutely don't. And a lot of 
at least in our area, and maybe there are some milk banks who do do a good job of connecting with those hospitals, but in our area, a lot of that milk ends up getting dumped by the hospital. And mm-hmm. that's the most important milk that we need to be collecting. So, um, I, so again, a lot of depots are in mom and baby stores, they're in offices, they're in other places, and ideally they would be in medical, you know, in, in medical facilities, um, but they're not. So... That, yeah. that's, that's, a, that's a work in progress. Interesting. Yeah. Well, there's certainly a lot of room for, for work in this, yeah. and I think we'll be working on it for a long time. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is that we need to work on policies like what medicines really are okay um, for mothers to take and have that milk be safe for premature infants. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there's a, there are a lot of things to think about. Yeah, and even rules like, you know, I think you can have um, a very – well thought out policy about, you know, when moms leave the hospital with their baby who's graduated from the NICU and they leave behind milk in the freezer and they don't come back for that milk, you know, is there a way to reach out to that mother and talk to her right. about putting it in the donation bin rather than putting it in the waste bin? Right. That's, yeah, that, that yeah, there should be sort of probably a formal policy about that through Havana. And I don't think that there is, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm the co-medical director of the bank, um, but we, and we haven't opened yet, so uh, there are some details that I'm not 100% knowledgeable about yet. Um, but sure, yeah. and I'm sure there's it's evolving over time. It's evolving. It's exciting. <laughs> it is exciting. Very exciting. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to tell me about all of that. And um, so I'm hoping that from a year in a year from now, you can tell me about the milk bank that you're opening in Washington D.C. Oh, yes. What you need are people who are in the D.C. area to contact you directly um, who would be interested in working on that um, whole project. Yes, and they can go to our Facebook page and um, send me a message, and I will be really excited to meet them when I get there. Perfect. All right. Well, take care, Karen, and I'll talk to you soon. Sounds great. Bye. Okay, bye. If you have any interest in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine or any questions or comments about this podcast, please email us at abm at b as in boy, f as in frank, med.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in a few weeks.